here this morning. We are uh, very grateful people. We want to continue in that way. And it seems like now there's more of a wave of issues that people are dealing with in our congregation. And uh, it's always difficult to hear of someone dealing with cancer, um, difficult hearing of people that aren't at their strength where they'd like to be. Um, So when you hear of that, we just want to rally with them in prayer and uh, make a note of it, you know, to be praying for these folks um, that we've mentioned. And uh, so I tell you, just... All sorts of things happening in our lives and in our world and in our country and in our state. Uh, And for you who are believers in Jesus Christ, we need to continue walking in Him. The Bible says that we are to abide in Him. And so uh, that's our encouragement here this morning um, as we get started. We've been... uh, going through this series, The Gospel Essentials, and I'm very grateful for it. I'm, I'm glad to hear folks have been uh, challenged and encouraged w- with this uh, series that we're on. Last week, um, we had a great message from Pastor Brennan um, about how Jesus came, declared the, the, the kingdom of God, brought it about, said, here it is. After being tempted in the wilderness by the devil in Matthew 4, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time ongoing that Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, uh, careful reading throughout the Gospels reveals that he's not simply announcing, you know, kind of as the... Uh, a commercial guy announcing it, saying, hey, you better be aware, here it is. He's saying, here's the kingdom, and he's going to continue talking as if he's the authority of the kingdom. And that's something that we can tend to skate over and skip over because we uh, get it that, you know, here's the, the message of the book of Matthew. If you were to consider the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew... The theme of that simply is the king is come and here's his kingdom. And so everything from there means submit, bow down, fall before him. He's the king. Here he is. It comes to your life and my life in this day and age. That message from 2000 years ago. And so, the thing is, though, it's um, anytime a new king arrives on the scene, history tells us what? There's a bunch of rebels sitting out there somewhere. And Jesus came declaring a kingdom, and guess what? There's a bunch of rebels out there that don't want it. And we'll just say it right here, right now. This is what we drive at. 
in this, with this theme, with this message. The authority of Jesus is not meant to be a, a, a kind of cool historic thing. Oh yeah, that's great. The authority of Jesus and his kingdom comes down to you in your life now. My life now. And this is the problem that we have in life. A king comes and sets up rule and there's a bunch of rebels. Okay? There's a a revolution ready to happen against the king. Now, yeah, in history, some revolutions were good. But in this case, with this king, the revolution is not good to go against and rebel against his kingdom, against his authority. What has become of America? Okay, now I said that. We could uh, talk for a good long time about what's happened in America when it comes to authority. We all like the line, America, the land of the free and the home of the entitled. America, the land of the free and the home of the spoiled. But you know it's supposed to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. And so that pulls at our hearts, doesn't it? That pulls at us about what's happening in our country. But isn't it interesting, when you study the life of Jesus, and he's talking about his kingdom, how much does he get into politics? And basically, the, the, the main thing that he says is, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Other than that, there's not many other statements that he gives. Right? When we take a close look at at authority, the term authority, each one of us ought to be challenged with that and in light of Jesus. We ought to be challenged by it. Um, Like our attitudes towards authority our responses to it. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we come down to this idea that it's, it, it can be a misunderstanding on our parts because what we want to think about isn't so much authority. What we'd rather think about is our liberty and our freedoms, which is fine. That's good. You know, here we are. Are we not the most free country in the world? We've got freedoms. We've got liberties. But the predominant thought of most Americans is that I'm free to live however I want to live because of that. And a lot of times we don't take into account the cost that it took to secure our freedoms. And even in what you hear in, in education nowadays is that they're not really studying history like it should be studied, which is a sad testimony of our education for our children growing up now. So this is a, 
this is a major th- issue. A very important thing. And, you know, this term authority that we want to look at here today, obviously it, it brings about the thought of what? Control, influence, rule over your life. Authority always implies somebody's below, you know, and having authority over them. I got to thinking it'd be really interesting, you know, if we could interview guys like uh, Richard Hickox and, and Chad Sweeney and others that are involved in law enforcement and uh, hear their take on some of the things that they see. Obviously, we can't do that, but um, I don't think we'd want to hear their testimonies, their stories of what they see and what they see on a pretty consistent basis. And all we're talking about is just Churchill County here and the attitude towards authority. Well, and obviously, you, know, you folks know how much that spreads everywhere, doesn't it? It's an attitude that builds. I'm free. You know, I have my liberties. I, you, you can't tell me what to do, those kind of things. So, obviously, this is a huge topic, and um, I could easily get off on rabbit trails, but what we need to do is, is let the Scripture speak to us here on the authority of Jesus. And so, in your bulletin, in the outline, you can track along with me if you choose, that point number one is that the authority of Jesus is declared in His message. It's declared clearly. So look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And what we're looking at with point number one very quickly is that here's the, the, the main message that he gives as the king, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And look at chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. When Jesus had finished these words, when he'd finished what he said, the crowds were amazed. And you can, some of your translations say astonished. And a good translation of the, the Greek word is dumbfounded. You know, a lot, we're, we're used to the term amazed. You know, we sang it this morning. You are amazing. But we need to let what that means sink in more. This is amazing. What? Uh, I don't know. What? Grace? What's grace? Uh, I don't know. Well, that's what is important for us to delve into and discover. They were amazed at what? His teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as their scribes. Okay? Clearly, the authority is on display within this sermon. It's a singularly unique, powerful, and outstanding message. Showing that number one under, number, or, I'm sorry, letter A under number one, that this is no ordinary teacher. He confidently, without hesitation, explained kingdom behavior as if he is not a part of it, but he is over it. He's telling us what it's about. He directed attention to himself and made his mission clear. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I came to what? I came to fulfill it. 
That's amazing. That, that's incredible. That, that's unbelievable, as we say. He's directing it to himself. He interprets the law like no one ever else has done it. You have heard what is said of old, but I say unto you. Okay? <laughs> that's incredible. And this message, as we find out, as you read through the, the story of Jesus, he's going to drive it at the heart. He's not driving it at painting the outside, covering it up. No, he's driving everything at the heart of issues of your life and mine, of the lives of the people back in the day that he walked and lived. Okay? He was not as the scribes, it says there. He's not, what does that get at? Well, the scribes were always referring to the guys before them. Referencing them. The, the, and just here's this long line of tradition that the scribes, you know, they fell in line. They had to go to their school and get approved. And this is one of the issues that Jesus didn't like, or that, that, that they didn't like about Jesus. He didn't go to their school to gain approval, to, to be authenticated. But he's talking with this authority. Jesus would say it, um, you know, well, for instance, he's not like one of the prophets. What were, what were the prophets known to do? When they stood up, when they went to a king, when they went to the people, the prophet would always start by saying what? Thus saith the Lord. You see Jesus saying that? Isn't that an interesting thought? Jesus never said that. He, he, he might have said, well, you know, in the, in the wilderness, he said what? It is written. But he never is bringing it up saying, thus saith the Lord. And then he would turn around and say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Okay? So no ordinary teacher, no ordinary claim, let her be, no ordinary claim. That because the kingdom of God had begun with his arrival, he holds the authority to admit people into it. This is what he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He's bringing it about. He's bestowing blessing of the kingdom. He understands himself as the Messiah, meaning their Lord, their master, their king. And his intention is that the hearers not only observe his teaching, but be personally devoted to him. And then, on top of it, as the Sermon on the Mount goes, he's referring to himself as the judge, the judge of the living. He's saying there's two ways and there's two destinations, right? There's the narrow gate and the broad gate. And two destinations with that. And if you look in Matthew chapter 7, at verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, cast out many demons. In your name, perform many miracles. Then I will declare to them, I, I. You see, you see that? I never knew you. Then, what does he say? Depart from me. 
See, everything, it's about him. And he goes on in, in the, the story about the builders. <laughs> Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Okay? So, this is no ordinary teacher, no ordinary claim. Here's the, the authority of Jesus declared in his message. Then number two, the authority of Jesus demonstrated in his miracles. Real quick, we're just going to run through these. You can look at them more closely later on. But letter A, you know, and, and really it's rapid fire by Matthew. He's going from one scene to another to another. And he's basically saying, here's the, the power of Jesus, the authority. Both the, the words are very similar, power and authority. He's saying, here's the, the power of Jesus over letter A, diseases. He healed the leper. You you do understand that you could not touch a leper. (laughs) And what did Jesus do? He reached out and touched him and healed him with his word. He healed the centurion's paralyzed servant from a distance. Yeah. He didn't even have to. The centurion understood. Why? He understood what? You're a man of authority. You just what? Say the word and it will be done. A man of authority. He's referring to Jesus. And then he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law and many others on that time. Okay? Something that wasn't added into your outline would be... um, Really, the next one would be his power over the forces of nature. He demonstrates that, calming the sea. Then back to your outline, letter B, power over demons. He healed two demon-possessed men. And notice the the demon-possessed men, those demons understood who they were in front of. Right? And they begged him. See, here, again, here's this, this picture of, here's the authority figure, Jesus. And everyone falls underneath, even demons. Okay, they knew who he was and they understood his advantage. They understood Jesus' advantage. He's the divine authority. He is the authoritative one. Then you keep going. Uh, letter C, power over sin's debt. You know, he's already demonstrated he's healed these people. And then he comes up and says, oh, by the way, um, I see your faith. Uh, Your sins are forgiven you. This blew away the people. The Jews understood this whole concept. No one forgives sin but God. And here's a man, a carpenter, a guy from Nazareth. And he's walking around saying, your sins are forgiven you. What authority? What authority? Now, understand this. Here's the issue with, you know, here's these healings that he's doing. He's healing these people and doing a, healing many people. But you know what? With this passage in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, this demonstrates to us what's the greater problem. It's not disease. It's not somebody's paralysis. The greater problem is sin. Every one of you in here have the disease of sin. 
And most of you, I'm assuming, have been healed of that. You've been healed of the disease of sin. Hallelujah. But some of you in here have not yet. You have kept Christ at bay. You have not received. You have, in essence, rejected His offer. And so, at this point, again, we come saying, please, be reconciled to God through Christ. Be reconciled to Him. Come to saving faith in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, this idea of, you know, it comes to my mind, I know, the issue of cancer. A person's sin is not necessarily the direct cause of some disease. You know, you follow me? It's like, it's not, well, they've got a sin that they haven't confessed and therefore they get cancer. No. We live in a world that is just, here it is. It's a cursed world. This is the way it is. Ultimately, all corruption and death result from sin's entrance into the world. I know, we don't like it, but this is what we deal with. And thus, the importance of continuing to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. And to top it off, here in this section, that he demonstrates this, his authority in his miracles, letter D, is his power over death. Jesus raises up Jairus' daughter, raises her up from the dead. Okay? So, we see it. We see his authority there. Let Number three, we see his authority in that it's rejected by the opposition. In Matthew 21, specifically, they come after Jesus in the temple. He's already cleansed the temple. What, is, what does that mean? Well, they're selling things in the temple. And he goes in and says, no, and clean, cleans house, cleans the temple. My father's house is not to be a house of merchandise. And then a large group come after him the chief priests and the elders, the people, and they interrupt him while he's teaching, attempting to trap him, catch him in, to bring in some accusation against him. This is the ongoing conflict that Jesus faces. And Jesus simply turns the tables on them and then shares three different parables of how God's coming judgment is really being rejected by these, quote, religious officials. We're not going to really get into that much more, but Matthew 21 and on is, is here, here's the unfolding of this rejection of Christ. The very religious officials bring him and have him arrested, as we know. But again, as Christ did with these Pharisees and scribes and such, he turns the table on everyone by going to the cross and dying there. And number four, his authority is now confirmed by his resurrection. And thus he can say in Matthew 28, we're familiar with this, I hope. Matthew 28, 18 18 through 20. All authority 
has been given unto me in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Here it is. I think that's in Philippians. I'm sorry. But in Matthew 28, he's saying, all authority has been given unto me. Now what? Go and make disciples. Why? So his fame and his authority can be spread. Romans chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. You can check that out. Saying that here's his resurrection. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how Paul opens up the the letter to the Romans. He's proven his authority. Here it is. He rose up from the grave. Then Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in, the, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. There's authority. There's sub- submission to that authority. Now, what we want, and I just implied this earlier, we don't want you doing this when it's too late. Because everyone will do it. Everyone will bow the knee. Everyone will confess with the tongue that Jesus is Lord. Do it now in your life. Don't wait. If you wait, it's at the peril of being in hell for an eternity. Do you understand that? And hell is not some myth, some little uh, cute idea that, that the disciples came forth with. Okay. Jesus is the one, my friend. Jesus is the one. Stay with me. Jesus is the one who talked about hell. Jesus is the one that warned of the destruction to come. Okay? So he's got, again, he's got the authority to do so. He rose up from the grave. He conquered sin and death and, de- and defeated the devil in doing it. Please be reconciled to Christ. Number five in your outline. Number five. His authority, the authority of Jesus is illustrated and exercised in his church. Letter A, he is the head of the body. Colossians chapter 1, we'll focus in on Colossians 1, verse 17 and 18. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That in everything, Paul is trying to say, nothing's going to miss here. Nothing will be lost in, in whatever... Everything that he will have preeminence. And so this passage, along with these other passages in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 1 and also here in Colossians, this highlights and magnifies the totally unique position that Christ has as head of the body, head of the church. And yes, granted, there are many churches who do not function in a way that shows that Christ is the head. They're functioning in ways that shows that a man 
or a tradition or a board or a whatever is in charge of the church. Some denomination that's in charge. And that shows how we've drifted in Christianity. We need to remember, we need to be a, a place where we continue to lift up Christ as the head of the body. And that's a challenge. Why? You're looking at someone that has an issue of pride, you know, that can always pop up. Any kind of leader, anyone in authority, their pride can kick in very easily. Christ is the head of the body. (laughs) Chop off somebody's head and watch them exist. You get that? You can't function without your head. (laughs) Sorry. Christ is the head. And this shows, this point uh, that He is the head of the body demonstrates mankind's ongoing failure to continue to place Christ. After all, Christ is one of the many. That's what. That's where we go wrong. Christ is one of the many uh, spiritual leaders that you can choose from. And that's wrong. Because Christ is over all and above all. Okay? And we see that in letter B. He's the glorified Lord. Exercised, illustrated in His church, His authority. And it's... He's the head of the body and letter B, he's the glorified Lord. All you need to do is look at Revelation chapter 1. You know, here's the thing. We're not going to do a a deep study of this at this point, but you need to understand many of us as believers, we think of Jesus as the guy with the sandals and the robe and he's kicking back with the people and he's loving on everyone. And our, our perception of Jesus gets kind of soft because we love Him and He loves us. You take time to read Revelation chapter 1 and weigh that into your thinking process about who Jesus is. This is no um, kind of... I think a, uh, when we went to Hawaii, everyone in Hawaii was laid back and kicked back and, hey, hang loose, man. And that's the idea we have somewhat with Jesus. Just hang loose with Jesus. It's great. But where is Jesus standing in Revelation chapter 1? He's standing around in the midst of, in the center of these golden lampstands. What do these golden lampstands have to do with us? They're representative of the churches. Whose churches? His church. His church. And you look and you keep reading in Revelation chapter 1 about the description of who this glorified Lord is. And He's not, you know, hanging loose, buddy. He is the glorified Lord. John's vision of Christ at this point in Revelation is totally different in appearance from the Savior that he knew in the flesh. You know, he leaned on his bosom in the, in the Last Supper. John did. John leaned on Jesus. Like, and here in Revelation 1, it's a, it's a different scene now. Here's the one who has all authority. He is the exalted, victorious Son of God. He's the perfect Prince and King. Overall, 
Everyone bows to Him. But this is, my friend, this is what we're missing in Christianity today. That kind of vision of Christ. First Peter chapter 4, just jot this down. First Peter chapter 4 verse 17 says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If this comes across as a little too much and too intimidating, uh, I'm not going to apologize for that. It's, this is the message that Jesus has. And we have, uh, we have become familiar, but we need to also come in fear. The right kind of fear, the fear of the Lord, that's, that, that's about wisdom. So, authority of Jesus is declared in His message, demonstrated in His miracles, rejected by opponents, confirmed by His resurrection, illustrated and exercised in His church. And number six, his, the authority of Jesus, listen, fits all believers. It fits all believers. So, Here's what we do. Now we, we've gone, we've done, we've, uh, I don't know if you followed along with that. I hope you did. We did a little quick survey of Matthew. We jumped here and jumped there in Matthew because why? Matthew's theme is what? He's king and here's his kingdom. He's presenting his kingdom. Now let's look at Matthew 11. Matthew chapter 11. Everyone turn there. Now, listen, you must read and follow along with me at verse 27. We want to jump to verse 28, but look at what verse 27 is saying. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. There's authority. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Whoa. But look at what he says. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal it. You have to wrestle with that. This is not a thing where, um, hey, I chose Jesus. This is something that God gives. God grants. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not your idea or my idea. Salvation is of the Lord, and He is going to grant it to whom He wishes. It's in His authority. And you say, well, why bother to make a big deal about it then? If He hasn't chosen me, why bother? You know why? Now let's look at verse 28. What does verse 28 say? Come to me. There's His invitation. Come. It's not just an option. Hey, why don't you just decide? Come on to Jesus. Make a decision. No. Come is a command. Come. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen. He's talking about the effort that they're making to get to God in their own strength and in their own power. That's His, his delivery here. And my friend... 
please be aware of this. If you're making any attempt to get to God because you think you're good enough, you're going to fail. You cannot get to God on your own strength, in your own power. You cannot. As good as you might accomplish or as good as I think you might be or anyone else thinks you might be, you will fail in making it to God in your own strength. You will fall short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is His invitation. Come. What is the next one? Verse 29. Letter B. Take. Take. What? Take my yoke upon you. Um, I don't have a yoke in my backyard. Uh, might be that you have a yoke. Some of you farmers, you have a yoke. You can hitch up a couple of uh, cows together and whatever, you know, or mules. You can hitch them up and, and drive them. And that's the idea here. See, folks, this is where we as Christians need to examine ourselves in regards to our walk with Christ, our, if we say that we're saved. Here's the yoke that he says, take my yoke upon you. And this is a word picture that he uses. They could use yoke in terms of uh, a certain disciple school. I'm, I'm yoked to Gamaliel. What does that mean? Well, I'm following Gamaliel, my teacher. Or um, here's the issue of countries under the yoke of some dominating country. Israel was under the yoke of who? Of Rome. And so it was used in those kind of ways. It's a word picture. It's a word picture for you and me. Here's what he has done. Here's what he's accomplished in his work. Take his yoke upon you and you'll find rest. And here is the yoke of his authority. You get yoked to Jesus. You don't go your own way. You don't walk about however you want to walk. You don't live however you want to live. You're yoked to Christ. Okay? Take my yoke upon you. That's what he says, right? That does not mean... Uh, just when it feels good and then take it off later or um, just in your thoughts. No, in your mind and in your emotions and your will. Take the yoke of Jesus upon you. This is not a matter of saying, oh, I'm saved already and I'm not ready to take on the yoke yet. No, you can't do that. In coming to salvation, you take on the yoke. This is his offer. Here's his invitation. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So what's the next phrase? Learn. Learn about him and what he's done and put it into action in your life. Don't just have it stored up here as another file in your brain. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Learn. Say, there it is. Come, now take and learn. And what's the promise? I will give you rest. This is what it means to be saved, my friend. This is what it means to be saved. You know that things are right with you and God. 
Having therefore been justified, what? Justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. His promise. You come, you take his yoke, you learn of him, you'll know this rest. Okay, we got to close it down. Lots to think about. Our freedom is really designed so that we would be under authority. The idea in, in America is, you know, what I said at the beginning. is like, hey, you can live however you want to live. We're free, right? But the idea for a Christian, it's clear. You're yoked with Christ. You can't reach back as a, as a cow or a mule and take that thing off. No, that, it's not yours to take off. It's there. And his yoke is what? Easy. In other words, it's fitting. That's why we said in point number six, it's fitting. His authority in your life is fitting. And he's done all that needs to be done in making things right with God the Father. So I don't have to perform to get blessing from God. I don't have to work extra hard to be blessed by God. He's Jesus has done it all. Do you believe that? And if that's what you believe, then walk in such a way that shows you're yoked with Christ. Listen, you are either a slave to sin or a slave to God. That's what it comes to. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to to God in Jesus Christ. How will it show forth in your life today and in my life? How will it show forth this week? I'm either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to God. There's no third category. Do you understand that? There is no third category. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. You, you mark that down unless it's in your outline. Look at that on your own. Romans chapter 6, 12 through 18. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says um, that we... Um, do you not know that your body is what? A temple... A worship place. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom is in you, whom you have from God, and you... You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. What was that price? What was the price? Jesus' blood. A ransom given for many. Praise the Lord. Therefore, Paul says it, therefore, because of what's been said here, therefore glorify God in your body. So how do we glorify God in our body? If you have my commandments, you are those who love me. You, you love Christ by what? Keeping his command. Here's obedience. Obedience to his authority in your life. And... All of us, listen, all of us struggle in this way. I can be a rebel just like the next guy. 
So, today, let's, let's work on this issue. Am I yoked? Are, am I saved? Am I walking with Him? Am I trusting in Him? It's a very critical issue for all of us. And it's important that you don't take this information and turn it on somebody else. Well, you better, you, you better, you, 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 you. It's an idea that he directs it at, at me. He directs it at you. Receive it. Welcome it. And you know what? Your freedom will be enhanced more and more by your obedience to him. And you'll say, wow, I didn't realize this before. This is really cool. I want to keep obeying him. Why? Not that I'm going to show any kind of perfection. No, not at all. But I want to keep loving him. That's what it is to keep loving him. Amen? Let's stand together. And I want to read this to you and then close in prayer. Um. This is, a, this is a, a very difficult topic to handle in one setting. Because, um, you, you know, we could have started in Genesis <laughs> and kept going with authority and done about a 20-week series on the authority of Jesus. The point is that it, here's failure in the Old Testament, failure of the kings of Israel. More, there's more failures of kings than there were successes. And everything pointed to the Messiah. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, the Messiah. And here's what the Old Testament says. Psalm 2. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, And I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun that he may not be angry with you and you perish in the way for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Listen, if you're here and you are not under the authority and the kingship of Jesus, uh, lay down your weapons. Surrender. Surrender to the King of Kings. Surrender your life to Him as Lord of your life. I'm going to stay up here after. If if you have not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ, I want to talk to you and pray with you about doing that. Please don't, please don't go with the company argument. Recognize how pride gets in your way and lay it down. And know that He is Lord. So come on up after we're done praying and let's talk and pray. Let's get things right with God. Okay? 
Let's pray together. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Oh God, we, we recognize these things from Your Word, these truths from Your Word, and we pray that You would please do Your good work in helping us submit to You and humble ourselves before You and, and to admit how we've been handling things in our lives as believers that we have actually not been submitting to You and walking in Your way. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be open and honest about this with You and not try and hide it. By Your Spirit, O God, um, help me and each one here to honestly and genuinely submit to Your authority in our lives. Thank You for the, the truth that Your yoke is easy and Your burden is light because, Lord Jesus, You accomplished it for us and so we praise You. You accomplished the work that we could never have done. Lord, we also want to just remember those who are hurting in our midst and those who are struggling with physical pain and dealing with cancer, all these things. Lord, we pray that we'd be ready to continue praying for them. Lord, for Melinda, uh, for the Hamiltons, Lord, we, we lift them up. For Melissa, I mean. And just, Lord, we pray that you'd uh, give them peace and comfort in this time and help there to be healing in our body. Lord, we're, we're glad that Ron and Nancy are here. And Lord, again, we just pray that we would continue in prayer for these are suffering in difficult, in difficult times. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. And you are dismissed. <laughs>